Mark 10, 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's word. Please be seated. Morning, everybody. Glad to be with you again today. Before we dive in, just want to take a quick moment to thank everybody. Um, I'm sorry we haven't had a chance to do this before now, but I wanted to thank you for taking time to fill out all the surveys. This is on behalf of me and all the, uh, all the elders. We asked those of you who were members of the church to fill out surveys this last week, and those were immensely helpful. And also, just thank you, not only for the sacrifice of time and effort, but for opening your heart to us. I know that there's a lot of opinions all over the place on this issue. It's a potentially sensitive topic. Um, but those answers, your time, your effort in that meant a lot to us. And we, we looked at all those answers. We analyzed them individually and, as, and collectively. Um, we talked about them. And next steps are coming. So uh, thank you. Those, those answers, again, and, and your effort in opening your heart and sharing that with us was, was heard and, and felt and received by us. And we, we love you all. Really thankful for each of you. This has been, a, uh, this has been quite a week. And coming to a sermon um, when there are riots going on and in the middle of a pandemic, you start to wonder things like, um, what does the Word of God have to say to us in situations like this? Is there hope for us in moments like this? How are we supposed to think about things like this? And there's good answers to all those questions, and God's Word does speak to us. I was reminded this last week. There was a, I was at a conference, and one of the speakers, it was a Zoom conference, of course, uh, which tend to be pretty lame, to be honest. They're not quite the same as in-person conference. But he, he was talking about the Word of God, and I liked this visual image. He said sometimes we like to think, um, even as, as preachers or as teachers of God's Word, the posture is kind of over God's Word, like we're mastering the text. God's Word is not meant to be like that. I'm never going to master God's Word. My prayer for me, for myself this week, and for you this week, in light of all the things that are going on around us, is, is more like this. That God's word would master us. We are under his word. But that we would not be masters of, master his word, but that his word would master us. And so that's my prayer today. That God's word, through his, through his word, that would be happening, hopefully, all through Mark. But again today, as we're here in Mark 10, the end of the chapter, that his word would master our hearts in these tumultuous, confusing times. Look, I don't have all the answers. I don't. I'm not the perfect king. But we're going to take a look at the perfect king. And that's what I'm excited about today. I'm thankful for that. I've been thinking a lot this week um, about a dear friend of my wife and me. Her name was Dawn. 
And uh, she passed away right around Christmas, or actually on Christmas this, this last year. Um, she's been on my mind this week because um, of the shocking and unjust death of George Floyd um, while he was in police custody in, in Minneapolis. Um, Dawn, my friend, she's a Minnesotan, and she's from Minneapolis, and she loved Minneapolis. Um, but she's been primarily on my mind because as long as I've known her, she has been a woman who devoted herself to seeing and helping people who felt marginalized or pushed, pushed to the fringes of society or who, who are voiceless and forgotten. Whether it was because of, they were pushed to the, to the edges of society because of race or economic reasons or mental health reasons or, or whatever the reason, she knew personally the love of God through Jesus and extended that to so many people, so many easily overlooked and forgotten people. It's been truly hard for me to not think that she would be so important to Minneapolis right now in a time like this. Dawn is only an echo, though. And and believe me, she would really want me to tell you this. She's just an echo, a faint echo, of the way Jesus sought and loved those on the fringes. Those people easily overlooked, um, those who faced injustice and inequality. We've talked about this. We've seen this as we walk through the, through the Gospel of Mark. We've discussed how much, uh, how much this is part of the kingdom of God coming to earth. It's part of who God is. Jesus healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the mute. He healed the deaf. And his kingdom just doesn't have any of that. He sought out the minorities the marginalized, the forgotten, and he brought them into his kingdom. He is the kingdom bringer. He brings the kingdom to them. The kingdom of God is at hand. We've said that over and over. And that's why when injustices happen, like the ones that happened this week, the right response of a Christian, a child of the kingdom of God, is to say deep inside, that should not happen. To look at the violence and think, that should not happen. To feel in your gut, that sickening feeling, that ache, that longing for justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that while he was sitting in, in the Birmingham jail. But, but he was quoting the prophet Amos, who foresaw the kingdom that only Jesus could bring. This is the last of Jesus' healing miracles in Mark. That's where we're at today. And after this, He's into Jerusalem. And what's, what's in Jerusalem? He's headed toward his death, toward the cross. But another way you could say that is he's headed towards his throne. He definitely came, Jesus definitely came to launch a cosmos-shaking revolution. But not by force, not by riots or burning buildings or cars. Jesus has come to take his throne by laying down his life in order to pay the ransom for our souls. Which makes this small six-verse little section here that we're looking at today with a blind beggar so striking. Pat last week walked us up to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus undercuts the man-made pathways to greatness and power. And he shows that in his kingdom, those with authority, those who are truly great, are the ones that serve all. And then he concludes by making this mind-boggling statement. If you think about the fact that he is the king, 
He is God in flesh. He is the kingdom bringer. And then he says this, for even the Son of Man, that's himself, Jesus is talking about himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It would make sense at that point. That's Mark 10, 45. That's the verse just preceding our passage. It would make sense at, at Mark 10, 45, just to transition in the narrative right into Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. He was headed to the throne. He was going to raise from the dead. He was going to establish his kingdom. But before that victorious entry, before all the controversies with the teachers of the law, before his death, burial, and resurrection, we have this moment with a blind beggar. The marginalized man, the one who is on the voiceless fringe of society. What's going on? If you remember, uh, we've talked in the past about Mark being written for those who are considering following Christ and for those who already do. In the early church, it was used as a catechism. Uh, That is, it's a systematic way to teach people about who God is and what it looks like to live out following him. So, in other words, you could say Mark is a disciple-making and a discipleship manual. That's what it's here for. I, I, I hope that you've caught that before, but if you haven't, this is a discipleship manual for you, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Last time that I spoke to you, um, we looked at the rich young ruler. How did, it, how did God's word want us to become disciples there? It didn't want us to go away sad, sorrowful. God's word spoke to us. And I pleaded with you that day to embrace true riches by following Jesus. So what is is today? What does God's word have for us today? That you would receive and you would share what Jesus' followers shared with this blind man, Bartimaeus. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Oh, Father, we are desperate to hear from you today. There is so much chaos in the world, so much confusion, even in my own heart. Would you come and like a, like a herald's trumpet, just cut through with the, with the power and the clarity of your word to our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dive into this story, okay? A lot of details, which is really interesting. Uh, Look at verse 46 with me. I'm going to read it again. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. One of the unique aspects of the book of Mark, and I mentioned this before also, is the level of detail. Peter, the apostle Peter, is the source for, for Mark, and Mark this, this disciple of Jesus did a lot of the writing and the compiling of this gospel. And this is yet another story that has all the marks of an eyewitness account. It is not the most important thing, but it is an important thing to recognize that the Bible is a historically accurate document. It's trustworthy. We've got a lot of eyewitness accounts, not only from within the Bible, but from outside of the Bible. We have more documentation, more corroborating evidence, evidence that points to the truth of God's word than any other document in history. It's helpful for my heart, and I hope I really do trust it's helpful for your heart, for your faith today to know that when you come to God's word, you're coming to something that's trustworthy and true. You can believe what it says. There's a lot more that I can say about that, 
about why we ought to totally trust the Word of God and, and, and the impact that that has in our, on our lives. But let me just encourage you with this today, that what we see unfolding before us with Jesus and Bartimaeus, what we've seen unfold all the way through Mark and what we will see to the very end is true. You can believe it. It is not a myth. It is not a fairy tale. It is not a lie. It is fact. Historical true. Historically fact. So let's look at the details. There's a lot of details here. And the reason the details are there is to get you, draw you into the story. So let's go, let's go into this story. It says they came to Jericho. Now Jericho was a rebuilt city, but it was a beautiful city. They called it the City of Roses. It was a place where people actually went to spend the winter, especially if you lived in Jerusalem. It's interesting. Jerusalem and Jericho, only 18 miles apart, but Jerusalem was at an elevation of about 2,500 feet Jericho was 850 feet below sea level, 18 miles apart, but a huge climate change from one city to the other. So people liked to go there, especially to spend the winter. Jesus and his disciples had come to this city, this beautiful city, and now you start to get the picture. Lots of people, lots of attention. It says crowd, right? He was leaving with a great crowd. This great crowd had to form. He comes in, the buzz starts to come, right? Jesus is in town. Who is he? Is he the Messiah? Is he going to come overthrow Rome? It's loud. It's noisy. People want to join in this happy situation, this happy throng. And Jesus leads them out of the city toward that final destination. And where is he going? The city of David, Jerusalem. And at that moment, as Jesus is exiting out of the city... The focus turns away from this crowd and all of Jesus' disciples to the dusty road, sitting down there, outside the city, to a beggar. It says that his name is Bartimaeus, and we actually get that name twice. This is really interesting. It gives, him, gives us his name, Bartimaeus, and then it tells, it tells us that he's the son of Timaeus, which is what Bartimaeus means. It means uh, son of Timaeus. It's like saying, uh, oh, you know, Craig Cody, the son of John Cody. That's my dad's name. The son of John Cody, that Craig Cody. It's like saying my name multiple times. Why? Why would they say Bartimaeus' name a couple times like this? A couple thoughts. First, Bartimaeus was likely a Christian who was involved in the early church. So when people mentioned his name, Bartimaeus, they knew who they were talking about. They wanted to make sure you knew which Bartimaeus it was. But the other has to do with what happens when the kingdom comes. Jesus, the king, brings the kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, those deemed undignified by the world are elevated. The last shall be first. He is not, Bartimaeus is not a nothing by the side of the road. He has a name. He is someone's son, and he is seen and loved by God. But at this moment, at this moment in the story, he's sitting there by the side of the road, and he's begging. Why? Because he's blind. Likely he was blind from the day he was born, and those who had infirmities like this, there wasn't much else for them to do other than to sit by the road and beg for what they could what what they could get in order to survive. He had, a, he had few other options. So now consider this moment from Bartimaeus' point of view. We're still looking at verse 26. He's sitting there by the side of the road, but try to put yourself in Bartimaeus' place. That's where the story is focused, right? 
His other senses probably by this time have been heightened by the lack of sight. And so he's counting on his senses of, of hearing and, and smell and even his, his sense of, of feeling, his tactile senses. And he hears and senses that there's a crowd surging towards him. He's heard crowds come before. He's heard noises before. He can pick out the individual sounds. There's the cart. There's the donkey. There's the child. But this sound is different. It's loud. It's coming. It's getting big, bigger. And then he overhears some people talking. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And his heart nearly leaps out of his chest. And he knows in that moment, it is now or never. Jesus is passing by. Verses 47 and 48. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But, Jesus, but he, Bartimaeus, cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever shouted something out in a crowd, only to stick out like a sore thumb, th- a sore thumb and then everybody kind of turns on you, and you get really embarrassed? Okay, I guess that's only me. I was, I, there's one that just ooh, sticks out in my mind, painful to my heart, even to this day. It's, it's probably not that big of a deal. Maybe it is that big of a deal. Well, it, this was an amazing situation, actually. I was an undergrad here at University of Illinois, and there was a contest that we could enter as a university. Um, if you could mobilize enough people to enter enough ballots, the people who made the most, who entered the most ballots into this contest would win a free concert from Jars of Clay. So, Jars of Clay, cool band, all right? So, someone got together a campaign, we all entered, and we won. So, we went to actually Twin City Bible Church, right next to to Lincoln Avenue near campus. We all filled the room, um, and there was Jars of Clay, and they they started taking requests. And so I really wanted to hear this one song played, and uh, I requested the song, and then the lead singer of Jars of Clay looked at me, and he said something that made fun of me, and everybody laughed at me, and boy, I just wanted to hide in a hole, you know, just, oh man, everyone was looking at me and I was so embarrassed. And it was because I was afraid of everyone else's opinion of what I had just said, right? Bartimaeus doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think. People told him to be quiet. He didn't care. It was noisy, lots of people. So he had to shout even louder. He didn't care. He kept shouting. He didn't care what people thought. There is something about the desperation for Jesus in Bartimaeus and the beauty of who he is. He couldn't see, but he could see in Jesus. It's something in him that removes all the pretense, all the social niceties, all the button-up good-lookingness, all the convention, and he just cries out for mercy. This is, in plain sight, for all to see, for us to see, receiving the kingdom like a child. Remember that? Receive the kingdom like a child. I am not trying to advocate for um, coming unglued in public areas, but I do want to advocate for you and for me a handful of childlike responses we see in our friend and brother Bartimaeus right here. Here's the first one. We see that he's bold. I doubt that the people chastising him in those moments, telling him to quiet down, I, I doubt that they meant nothing to him. I bet he felt something. They just didn't compare to Jesus. If there ever was a time to be bold about who Jesus is, 
And what he came to do, holy cow, what a week. It is now. It is now. C.S. Lewis says this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's megaphone is out. Can I get an amen? It is, it is hard right now, and it is painful. And whether it's the pain of COVID in its sickness and suffering, or the pain of the injustices to Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd, and all the, or it's the, the pain of the violence that we see taking place in our streets, and just it's as if the fabric of society is ripping apart, or it's something specific in your life. God, in a special way, is shouting to the world, things aren't right. You may or may not feel that pain right now. I don't know where you're at. But people around you, people who you might be afraid to upset or offend, they are hurting. They are in pain. And they need to know that the king has come to bring them into the kingdom of eternal righteousness and joy and peace. They need to know Jesus is the one that they need. Don't let your fear of man overtake your childlike boldness to proclaim the greatness of Jesus. He's the king we all need. Here's the second thing we see in Bartimaeus. It's childlike, childlike faith, childlike response. He's self-aware. He knew he needed mercy. He wasn't about to hide it. He was messed up, and he and everyone else knew it. He wore it on the outside all the time. He knew that he lacked something, which is something that the, that rich young ruler that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he never, he never really agreed with that. He knew that Jesus was the solution. This is, this is the childlike receiving of the kingdom personified in a person. He's doing it. Bartimaeus knows he's got nothing to bring to the relationship with Jesus. Listen, you don't either. I don't either. Jesus is so glad to have you. He's self-aware. Third, he's persistent. Look, people tried to keep him down, and he would not stop. People tried to cast doubt on his pleas, his cries for help, but he would not stop. And get this, right? Think about it. He was persistent, even though he didn't know what the outcome was going to be. He didn't know if Jesus was going to respond to him. He knew that as long as Jesus was around, though, there was hope. So whatever you're facing right now, whatever obstacle you're up against, whatever pain you feel in your heart, whatever is locking you down inside, as long as Jesus is around, and he is because he rose from the, from the grave, as long as Jesus is around, you have hope. I, I don't know whether what it is that you seek he's going to give to you or not. I, I don't know whether or not he's going to do what you actually seek after. But I do know that our Savior loves to respond to cries for mercy. Here's the fourth one. So that one was being persistent, being persistent. Don't give up. And then the fourth one, childlike reaction. There's a right view of, he has a right view of Jesus. He believes something that was critically true about Jesus. Do you remember what he calls him? He calls him the son of David. What does that mean? 
It means that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who had descended from the line of David, the true king who was to take and rule the true, lasting, unshakable kingdom of God. That is who Jesus is. He's the son of David. And man, in these days of all days, there is such stabilizing, deep comfort in knowing that the king has come. We look at Minneapolis. We look at the riots all across our country. We think about those men who's, who, who died. We think about the violence that took place there. And we cry out for justice. For rulers who will execute justice rightly, perfectly, who see it all. And who know all. And have power to set all right. We ache for that. And we feel overwhelmed by covid and the failures of this leader, or that leader, or that, that oppressive decision, or that risky decision. We want them to have the right decisions with the right information and do everything right. And we just want this thing to end. We just want it to go away. We want the leaders, or whoever, just to take it away. And that's just this week. What about next week? Friends, the son of David, the king of glory... The perfect ruler has come, and his name is Jesus. And then, as this story unfolds, we see this childlike responses out of Bartimaeus, and we see, again, in detail, the type of king that he is. And that's verses 49 through 51. Let me read those again. And Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Just consider Jesus' heart here. He's on the way to die a torturous death. To bear the weight of sin on the cross. But he stopped. He will drink the cup of the wrath of God. My sin. He just told the disciples he was going to do that. Yet his heart is inclined toward a nobody on the side of the road. He hears so many cheers and accolades from people who have no idea who he really is or what he's really going to do. And yet he calls this man to him in mercy. And he patiently and gently draws out the faith of a blind beggar. Jesus knows what this guy wants. But with his offer, Jesus is drawing out this blind man's faith. He wants Bartimaeus to open his heart. And so what is, what is it that Jesus does? He makes an offer. What is the offer? What do you want me to do for you? What if Jesus asked you the same thing? What do you want me to do for you? What do you in your heart of hearts want him to do for you? What is it that you long for? What is your greatest need? Would you open your heart to him? That's what Jesus is doing with Bartimaeus. He wants Bartimaeus to open his heart. Would you op do you open your heart to him? Would you reveal, even though he sees it all, of course he saw Bartimaeus' heart, of course he knew what Bartimaeus wanted, would you reveal everything you want or need? Sometimes the hardest cries to Jesus 
are the ones where the dreams have been dashed or where it seems like the hope is dried up. You don't want to open that tender spot. You don't want to feel that pain. Brother and sister, I want to tell you this. You are not alone. You have a Savior. You're not alone because you have other brothers and sisters who are like that. You're not alone because you have a Savior who knows. And he feels what you feel. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, A variety of reasons, but I've been thinking about that. How Jesus does that. How he enters into and he knows our suffering. How he suffers with us. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. This is all over the Bible, but listen to this verse. Hebrews 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is so much to unpack there, and it is beautiful, and it is glorious. But this this verse tells us that he is pained where you are pained. And he aches where you ache. Our disapp- he, he's in solidarity with us. And it's not an aloof solidarity or sympathy. But one where he feels what you feel. Our disappointment, our sorrow, our pain, that can feel so isolating, never outstrips what he himself shares with us in. Just remember, just, just think of it this way. Do you remember how he, he received those children? Do you remember what he does to those who are the weak and the lowly, to those little children? He gathers them up in his arms. He embraces you in his arms. All that compassion is toward you and is for you. It's toward Bartimaeus and for Bartimaeus, and it draws out and stirs faith. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Where do you need mercy today? Receive and respond to the call today. Receive and respond to his call. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Go to this compassionate Savior who knows and feels and is able to help you to the uttermost. He stands ready to give abundant mercy. But this is really important. The message of this compassionate Christ, our, our precious Savior Jesus, it doesn't end on you. It doesn't end on me. It doesn't end on Bartimaeus. You're not the final stop on the subway. This thing keeps going. He wants that message to spread. This, he extends that through others. Did you catch that in this passage? This is a, this is a commissioning before a coronation. You guys know what a coronation is? It's when the king is crowned, right? It's when they they have the formal ceremony where he takes on his role and his rule to reign as king. And that's coming for Jesus. It's, in a sense, commissioning him as the true king. That is coming through his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the king, and the king has come. But the king also commissions his subjects. He sends out those who follow him, those who are his disciples, to act as his representatives, expanding his kingdom globally. Skip back to verse 49. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Now look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. 
your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered, that is Barnabas, recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus the king expresses his kingdom authority through his people. He calls the man, right? He calls Barnabas, but the message is delivered through other people. They tell Barnabas, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And then Jesus, after completely, completely restoring Bartimaeus, what does he tell him to do? Go. And this man followed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are all Bartimaeuses. We are all, all of us, we are, we are poor and blind sinners, beggars for grace. And by his transforming power, by his mercy, by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, he takes spiritually blind beggars and transforms them into ambassadors for the greatest kingdom and the greatest king that will ever exist in all of eternity. That's what he does. So hear the words of Jesus today. Go. Go tell the world. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Go deliver the good news of the compassionate Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Where could you go? What could you do? Well, you've been commissioned by the king. You can go anywhere. You can go everywhere. You can go to your neighbors. You can go to your coworkers, friends, classmates, family. Tell them that the ransom for sin has been paid. The king has sent you. Go to, the, go to the refugee camps. Go to the brothels. Go in his name and serve their needs, especially their spiritual needs, their need for a savior. Go to Rantoul. Go and tell those people about Jesus. Join with Michael and Chastity and plant a church there. Tell them about the savior that loves them. Yes, even them. Go to the unreached, to the far-flung places where they've never heard about this Savior, who they don't, know, they don't know about the love of Christ. Tell them that the Savior is calling. The Son of David is on the, front, on the throne, brothers and sisters, and he sends you as his ambassador. Go work justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed, marginalized, forgotten. Give a voice to the voiceless and tell them about the king who took all that injustice, all that violence, all that hate, all that pain on himself to bring us into his perfect kingdom. I don't know where you should go, and I don't know what specifically you should do, but I do know this. The kingdom of God is at hand because the son of David, the true king of glory, has come. And he seeks out sinners, telling them, take heart, get up, I'm calling you. And then he sends them. He sends them with his very spirit in them to announce to the world the very same message. So go into the world and tell them, Christ community, tell them, tell them to take heart, get up. He is calling you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to take heart today. Send your spirit on us. Help us to get up and get out 
and tell the world that you are calling. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came for sinners like us. Thank you that you are a friend of sinners. Thank you that you gave your life as a ransom for us all. In Jesus' name, amen.